Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and I'm joined by Cheryl Broderson. We switched it up on you. We like to do that occasionally. Absolutely. <laughs> but Keep I it thought, fresh. yes, but I thought it'd be kind of fun for me to introduce this one because Cheryl has not a one parter, not a two parter, not a three parter, <laughs> but a four parter, folks. She has a four-parter to do for us um, over the next uh, couple weeks, and it's going to be kind of cool because um, she's going to focus on one woman's story that's worth knowing, but she's going to incorporate a few other women worth knowing into that. So that was kind of the goal here, was to group everybody together, and it's kind of neat how she's able to kind of tie it all together with a little bow. So... Uh, without further ado, Cheryl, who are we going to be talking We're about? We're going to be talking about Amy Simple McPherson. Mm. And the reason Jasmine is telling you how it's a story within a story <laughs> is because for the last like four weeks, I have been sharing like everything. Um, as I've read it, I've read three books on Amy Simple McPherson. I've been listening um, to a lot of her YouTubes. There are YouTube videos of Amy oh, Simple fun. McPherson, as well as um, documentaries on her. Wow. Uh, one of my favorite documentaries on Amy Simple McPherson is by BBC. Oh, it interesting. It was fantastic. Wow. And it was, they do everything well. <laughs> it, they do. And it was one of my mom's favorites. And, you know, I had always kind of thought of Amy before in my past. You know, um, my dad came out of the Foursquare Church, both mm -hmm, my father and mother. Mm -hmm. And I always thought of Amy as a little bit scandalous and kind of, you know, interesting. And I thought of her as, you know, a little bit um, dramatic and flamboyant. But I had never known the backstory of all she did and how God used her. And I'm glad you're going to get into that because that's the impression I've always had. But I was reading something and I was like, oh, there's another side. There's a totally different side. It's interesting because I was back at the Billy Graham Museum at Wheaton College. And they had the best known um, evangelist in the United States. Mm. It was interesting because Amanda Berry was there with a write-up oh, about cool. Amanda Berry. But also, um, she and Amy Simple McPherson were the only women featured as evangelists in the uh, United States. Huh. And I thought, wow, because they had, in fact, it, it said that Amy Simple McPherson had a greater impact um, on the United States and souls being one to Christ than any other American evangelist, including Billy Graham. Wow. That's I mean, really the remarkable. impact of her life yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So let me just say that she's actually not an American. She's a uh, Canadian. <laughs> she was ball. born October 9th, 1890 in Salford, Ontario, Canada. But as I said before, her story is intertwined with six other women. And we'll slowly but surely get yeah. to all of those women. But first, I'll begin with her mother. Her mother was Mildred, but she always went by Minnie. And she married a man named James Kennedy. Mildred's parents. Now, this is where... You know, some of the story is a little sketchy and unknown. She was born in Canada in 1871. And sometime in 1886, Minnie's mother died. Um, some reports say that both her parents died. Hmm. And other reports say that just her mother died and that her father remarried a stepmother who was cruel to Minnie and wouldn't allow Minnie to stay in the house. So Minnie is 15 years old at this time. But when Minnie was 13 years old, the Salvation Army with Evangeline oh, Booth yes. came into her little town in Ontario, Canada. And she was enthralled with the Salvation Army. And they reached out to her and they led her to Jesus. And they allowed her to find like an oasis at 
their organization mm-hmm. and at their building. The building yeah. And they just received her. They loved on her. She got to wear the uniform. And for a little girl who was smarting from all the rejection, it just meant so much to Minnie. Mm-hmm. Well, after Minnie's mother died, she went to live full-time at the Salvation Army, and she was working mm-hmm. with them. She was working for them. But she began to feel that because of her age, only being 15, that she was more of a burden than a blessing to the organization. And whether she was made to feel that way or if it was her own perception, we don't know. Right. But at the same time, the Salvation Army informed her of a man, James Kennedy, who lived in Ingersoll, which was about 30 minutes away from the place that she lived. And they told her that this man, James, he was a Christian man. He was Methodist. And his wife was severely ill, and she was dying. And James needed help on the farm. And this was a farm that his father had, and he and his brother were raised on. So it was very important to his family. Hmm. And so he was asking for somebody who was a Christian who come and help him work the farm and help take care of his wife. And he had uh, three children that were almost grown. So here's 15-year-old Minnie who volunteers for this. And I mean, she's working with children that are older than she is. And yet she's running the household and she's taking care of Mrs. Kennedy and trying to nurse her back to health. But Mrs. Kennedy was dying and she soon died. Mm. And here's Here's Mildred or Minnie, and she's left all alone. And she doesn't know, again, she's an orphan, Gosh. what she's going to do with her life. She's only 15. And her job now is, you know, gone. She's still helping out on the farm. When James Kennedy, who's in his 40s, oh, right? interesting. Late well, with 40s, grown kids, yeah, yeah. He proposes to Mildred, oh, wow. who is by this time, like 16 years old. Wow. And so she says, yes, Hmm. and they go to get married. Well, she lied about her age and said she was older. Oops. And he lied about his age and said he was younger. Oh, that's so funny. Mm -hmm. No, wait, no. She Was this for her like more like a, not a father figure, but just like somebody to protect her and take care of her? I think so, because I mean, think about it. Her father had died. And by all accounts, James Kennedy was one of the kindest, Hmm. godliest, uh, at least according to Amy Simpson, McPherson, one of the most wonderful men that ever walked the planet. Mm -hmm. And Amy, um, in her autobiography, which I read, I can't say enough positive things about her father. And he uh, supported Amy's ministry the entire time that Amy was on the road, which we'll get to later. But Minnie became pregnant, and she was a little bit upset about this pregnancy because she felt like she wanted to continue to work with the Salvation Army. Oh, and the Salvation okay. Army was setting up a base in Ingersoll where she was. So every free moment she went and she would leave the farm and she would work with the Salvation Army and she would go to all of their meetings and she was very, very involved mm-hmm. with evangelism. So with her pregnancy, she said, all right, Lord, this child that I'm going to have, I want, and she believed it was a girl, I want this little girl that you're giving me to serve you with all of her heart. And what I can't do, because I'm strapped and I can't you know, go forward because I'm married and now I'm going to be a mother, this little girl, may she fulfill my commitment to you. Wow. So when Amy was just three weeks old, Minnie put her in the cart and rode the horses through a snowstorm (laughs) to go to a Salvation Army meeting. I mean, she really didn't slow down. And she sought to inspire Amy to win souls. In the meantime, James Kennedy 
He loved nature. He loved the horses. He loved the cows. He could tell you about any plant that he was growing and about everything that was going on on the farm. And so he would give Amy all these lessons about nature, and he would intersperse them with Bible studies. So she had this rich heritage with her father, and he's like in his you know, 50s. And he's walking her all over the farm, teaching her how to milk a cow and all these uh, wonderful things about the sky and about the seasons. And she just loved animals. Uh, When she was still a little girl, she learned to ice skate and she won awards at ice skating. really? By the time she started school, the kids made fun of her because her mother, you know, would deliver her to school in the Salvation Army uniform. The first day, Amy sat down, she cried because all the kids were making fun of her. Mm. But the next day, she passed out instruments to all the kids and invited them to join the Salvation Army Band. Oh, my god! And gosh. was leading these parades at school. And she quickly became the most popular girl wow. at her high school. She That's was a sign I, of things sorry, to come. Right, at her school. <laughs> Quite a leader. <laughs> she was brilliant. She was so smart. She got high marks in, in everything she did. But one of the things that happened is— when she was still a young girl, Evangeline Booth, who was born in 1865 in South Hackney mm-hmm. to Catherine and William Booth. Oh, yes, uh, we were doing, yes. Yes, came to Ingersoll. Now, what's interesting about Evangeline Booth, I told you, here's a story in a story. So we've had the story okay, of Minnie, yes, yes. just a little bit. <laughs> now we're going to talk about Evangeline Booth. She was the seventh child of William and Catherine Booth. The Number baby? seven. Nope. Oh, gosh. There were eight children. Oh, yeah, that's right. I she had a little them. sister. So after her mother's death in 1890, and her mom was, I think, 62 years old, mm-hmm. her father began to lean on this capable daughter. Mm. And in 1904, she took over the American branch of the Salvation Army. And while she was still in England, she had become known for her outreach to the flower peddlers and the charwomen mm-hmm. who lived in London. And she had gone by the flower peddlers with their Salvation Army uniform, and they weren't interested in anything she had to share. (laughs) She just looked so removed from them, and they felt so unrighteous. Most of the flower peddlers in England had once been prostitutes. And when they got too old to be used for prostitution, their pimps had them sell flowers on the uh, Mm. streets of London. So, you know, seeing a woman in a uniform just made them feel unrighteous. So what Evangeline did, she was called Eva then, she went and got some old ragged clothes that looked like what the flower peddlers wore. She grabbed some flowers and she sat with them and she began to sell flowers on the streets with them for months. And just saying a little bit here and there about the Lord, but not much, just getting to know them and finding out about their lives Mm -hmm. and their backgrounds. But as she would find out about the trauma and their background, she would tell them that Jesus loved them. And that there was a Lord who could transform them and didn't care where they came from, but would give them a whole new start. So when she finally just really shared the gospel, those flower peddlers came to Jesus Christ and became part of the leadership in the Salvation Army in London. That's yeah. That's like going incarnational. Yes, we keep talking about. Yep, go with them. Well, after her success with the flower peddlers, she decided to try the same with the charwomen. England is still a country that has a stratification. Yeah. And they were at the lowest rung of the stratification. They were used. They were exploited. 
she dress like one of them and begin to clean alongside of them and begin to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. And she led these charwomen to Jesus. Love it. And when they joined the Salvation Army, their rags were put off. They mm. were given these clean, crisp uniforms, and they were identified as one with the rest of the Salvation Army workers. Mm. There was no stratification. They were all equal. They all wore the same uniforms. They all did the same jobs. And you were promoted in the Salvation Army because of your zeal and love for Jesus. That was the qualification. And anyone can do that. (laughs) So Evangeline Booth, when she began to travel and speak in different towns and cities because she was an evangelist, she would do what was called illustrated sermons, and she had props. So she would bring flowers on stage, and she Mm. would become one of the flower peddlers as she told about how the Lord told (laughs) her to put on the rags and sit Mm. with them and tell them about the love of Jesus. And she would do the voices of the different women who she met and what the trauma had been in their lives. She would take on these different personalities. And Amy, as a child, sat there absolutely enthralled. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was said that people would hang on every word as Evangeline ministered the gospel. And then she would become a charwoman, and she would have an empty bucket, and she would pull out a brush and get on her knees and begin to scrub the floor and tell the testimony of each woman who came to Jesus Christ. Wow. So this was the influence on Amy as a child, Mm. and no doubt later influenced how she taught, how she preached when she became— an evangelist. Absolutely. So um, Amy would often use stories of her life growing up on the farm to captivate her audience and draw spiritual parallels, much like her father had. She was well acquainted with nature and agriculture and all the animals. And one of her stories that she loved to tell was when she was four years old and she was sitting on this well and she was looking down into the well and she saw this little girl. And she would shout out to the little girl, and the little girl would shout the same things back to her. <laughs> and Amy just wanted a friend so desperately because she was an you know, only child of James yeah, and Mildred. Yeah. And so one day she decided to just get as close to that little girl, and she leaned over just to touch her hand and fell in the well. Oh, my gosh. Well, a farm worker saw her fall in the well and went quickly and saved her out. Thank God. And Amy would talk about how a love for self and a desire to really know ourselves would often lead us to destruction, but Jesus saw us and would save us from that destruction. And so she was able to <laughs> use that. Yeah. At a, another time, she was very sick when she was a child. And one of the handymen said, you know, is there anything I can get from for you? And she said, I just want to hear, you know, the ribbit of the bullfrogs down at the pond. I just miss being with them. So he brought four up in a box and he said, you know, where do you want these? You know, because he thought he put them outside the window, but Amy asked for them under her bed. Well, somehow they got loose from the box. And when <laughs> Minnie discovered these, you know, frogs going all oh over gosh. Amy's bedroom, she was not happy. <laughs> That's cute. So by the time Amy was high school age, she had college preparatory uh, courses. And in one of those courses, you've got to remember that Darwinianism was a strong influence in England and then in Canada. And one of her college preparatory teachers was a hardcore 
Darwinist. Mm. And he was bringing all this literature in and telling the kids that they weren't created, but they came from ooze and, you know, they were just part of the animal kingdom. And it really began to throw Amy. And mm -hmm. so she went up to him and said, but I've always been taught that I was created by God. And he says, oh, I know, but you've got to realize that sometime or other that the Bible is just a book of myths. It's wow. not true. Well, this through this through Amy. Yeah. And in the meantime, she was getting a little secular. She liked to go to dances. And if her first dance, she felt a little convicted of her until she realized that her partner was a Presbyterian pastor. That's the one she was dancing with. And she began to see all these compromises with the mm. leadership in the church. And she thought, do they really believe the gospel that they espouse? Or is, is this just like a ruse for everybody? Mm. And so she began to question everything in her faith. She told her mom and dad about her questions and everything she was feeling. And her mother got very, very concerned and said, you know, we've got to go to an evangelistic meeting. So they took her to the church. One of the churches in town was having a local evangelist speak. Mm -hmm. And so the pastor's daughter, she'd heard about Amy going through this lapse yeah, of questioning, faith. Yeah, yeah, questioning her faith. So she went to talk to Amy, and Amy started asking her questions. And the girl said, you know, I don't know, but I'll get my mom. So then the mom comes, and Amy starts asking her questions, and the mother is stumped. So she goes and gets her husband, and her husband can't answer them. And Amy's like, who can answer my questions? Wow. And so she went home, and she looked at the starry sky that night, and she said, God, if you are real, and if you created everything, I want to believe in you. But right now, you're going to have to send me somebody who can answer my questions. So she wrote an article for her local paper just talking about evolution and just stating all her questions because nobody could answer um, any of her questions. Well, that article got picked up and became um, an article in newspapers all over the world. Oh, wow. And she got letters from Australia, from New Zealand, from California, all over the United States, England even, mm -hmm. of people trying to answer her questions, either for evolution or for Christianity. Hmm. So she was so confused. She poured over every letter and every answer trying to weigh out which one had the better theory until her father came into her room and said, Amy, I've thought of some questions. I just want to challenge you. How did ooze receive life? Mm. Where did the life come from? And she said, you know, she knew that they hadn't been able to find any spontaneous life. Right. You know, that everything could be traced to cells, but where did the cell get its life? Yeah. And the question so stumped her <laughs> that she became open to whatever the Lord would say to her. Wow. After all that, it was her dad. Yes, yes. <laughs> got her thinking. So, you know, as I said, she had begged the Lord to show her what truth was. And so her father said, hey, there's an evangelist I want to take you to see. So she went with her dad uh, to see this evangelist, and his name was Robert Simple, and he mm. was Irish. And when she went in, he was, of course, very handsome, but she was mesmerized because he taught straight from the Word of God, and she'd never heard anyone do that actually teach straight from the Word of God. I mean, there'd be allusions to Scripture, and everything was stressing the gospel. Just topical, mostly? And stories. Okay. Stories in the gospel, okay. but to go right to the text right. and preach and read the text, it grabbed her heart. And she said, at the sound of the Word of God, she knew it was truth, and she wanted to give her life to Jesus Christ. So that night, she went forward, and she made a full commitment. And she said to the Lord, I agree 
to serve you by faith until I know the answer to the questions. And cool. so she began to pray and seek the Lord at this mission house where she had heard Robert speak. Robert Simple, in the meantime, he had met her that night. And then he had gone off to evangelize in different cities and different towns. He also had a full-time job in a different city. And so she would stop off before school and after school at this mission house just to pray. And she said that she met the most gracious and sincere Christians. Now, her father was a Christian, but he was busy on the farm. Her mother was a Christian, but her mother was very uh, strident, you mm -hmm. know, kind of with the the rules and regulations of the Salvation Army right. and just was so into everything Salvation Army. And Amy was— she was an artist at heart, so she was she was wanting something more experientially satisfying. Not so confined, right? Right, and so these people believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and they prayed for Amy, and she received the gift of tongues. So she loved to go with them and pray with them, and she felt this power as she prayed with them. Well, every once in a while, Robert Simple would stop by the little mission house, and they might have a slight conversation. So one night, Amy was asked to sit with some sick children while the parents were gone. And after putting the children to bed, and it was a very stormy night, there was a knock at the door, and it was Robert Simple. And he said that the Lord had told him to go there and watch over the children. And Amy explained, well, I've already been mm -hmm. watching these children. So they sat and talked, and he told Amy about how God was calling him to China. And then you know, he asked her if she would pray with him, and so she did. And then he got on his knees and asked her if she would marry him. Whoa. And she said, <laughs> yes, because she was already in love by his passion for Jesus mm. Christ. Now, sorry, how old were they at that time? She's, a, she's about 18. Oh, okay, okay. 18, and then, you know, he's— None of these, mm -hmm. these scandalous 15-year-olds. No, no, no. Okay. And he's, he's only 21. Okay. They're young. Yeah. And so— um, as they, they got on their knees again and prayed together and dedicated their lives together to the Lord for His service. And as she prayed, she had her first vision. And mm. she saw this vision of her walking hand in hand with Robert towards this glowing city and walking in the doors of the city. And she thought, oh, that's marvelous. And she opened her eyes to tell him about the vision. And when she closed her eyes again, she saw herself leaving the city all alone, walking all alone. Oh. And she didn't know what it would mean. But two years later, she would know the meaning of the vision. So Amy and Robert were married at Ingersoll Farm on August 12, 1908. Many made it the most fabulous wedding and invited the whole town to it, <laughs> catered. They served all the food, beautiful cake. And soon after, Robert and Amy left for Chicago, where he was living. And Amy, just for those weeks that he was earning money, and he was trying to earn enough money to earn their passage to China, they were Deeply, deeply in love. Mm -hmm. And he called her Malverine. That was Whoa. his nickname for Malverine, which is some Irish name. Okay. I'm sure it's very endearing. <laughs> I, it is. It's, and it's Irish. <sighs> and so he was speaking at different places during this time. But he also taught Amy to read the Bible. She had never, ever read the Bible. Crazy. And he taught her not only how to read the Bible, but how to understand the Bible, how to pour over Scripture, how to ask yourself questions, how to compare it and cross-reference it with other Scriptures, how to study the Word of God. And she just became so excited about God's Word, and Love she it. began to pour over it. And then they would study it together every day and pray um, as soon as he got home from work. 
and she became really adept at making biscuits. She wasn't very good at laundry or any domestic duties, but she could make biscuits. That was her wheelhouse. That was that was it. <laughs> so she also realized that she was pregnant during this time. So she was going to go to China pregnant. Mm. Try as hard as Robert did to earn enough money for their passage. He couldn't. It just seemed that he would make money and some unexpected expense would come up. But one night he was speaking in Chicago at a little Italian fellowship. And afterwards, the people came up and they started stuffing money into Robert's Bible and Amy's purse until both the purse and the Bible were overflowing with money. And would you know, it was just the exact amount for the passage to China. I love it. So they booked their tickets and they sailed, but they sailed first to Ireland and then to London. In Ireland, Amy met Robert's family, who absolutely loved them. And Robert spoke at different churches to, you know, get some more support for the ministry in China because they felt like they shouldn't be with a mission organization. He wanted to live by faith and see what the Lord would supply. And this resonated with Amy's heart. And you'll see how this became something that became indicative uh, later on to Amy's ministry was living by faith. Interesting. So they sailed. They went to Ireland. And as they were in Ireland, Robert's mother, who was a wonderful Christian, said, Robert, I don't think I'm ever going to see you again. And Robert said, well, mother, if I die, I'm dying for the sake of the gospel in China. Wow. And she released him. So they sailed to London, and they were supposed to meet with a man named Cecil Popehill. And (laughs) Cecil Popehill was one of the wealthiest men in London. And they said, if he likes you, he will support you forever in your ministry. And he's been known to give $5,000 to certain missionaries. Wow. So Amy and Robert were so excited, and he had them picked up from the ship and brought them to his house where they stayed. And he said to Amy, this night you're supposed to speak at my fellowship. And she said, but I, I've never spoken publicly before. Except her, not him. School. Interesting. Her, not him. So he whisks her away, and she has no idea what she's going to speak on. And so she just opens her Bible, and it opens to Joel 1-4, and she speaks on the swarming locust, the chewing (laughs) locust. She does this sermon about how before your life is absolutely destroyed, you need to give it to the Lord. And only when you put it safely with Jesus does the locust lose his effect. And God begins to rebuild your life on the ruins and make it more rich and fulfilling than ever. And she didn't know, like, even what she was saying, but there were all these hallelujahs and amens from the audience. And afterwards, Robert said, well, my little Wolverine is a powerful preacher. And he was so proud of her. That's so sweet. And he's so incredible. Encouraged her. I love that she did Joel 1 of all things. That's awesome. Yes. What a woman. (laughs) So they were getting on the ship, and sure enough, Cecil Popel gave them an envelope. They were so excited, but they waited till they were shipboard and in their room, and they opened it up, and there was 15 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And Robert turned to Amy and said, well, God really intends us to live fully by faith and in dependency on Him. They didn't know who would meet them in China because, again, they weren't with an organization. They didn't know who was even aware that they were coming. But when they got to China, they were met by a company of interdenominational missionaries who took them up in their arms and fed them and took them straight to a house where they could stay until they found um, another place to live. 
Now, there's so much more to China. Yeah. And I feel that I have told as much as I could tell, except for to say that both Amy and Robert took up Cantonese lessons immediately, started learning the language and started looking for a home. Robert was preaching all over China uh, near where they lived at this time. Wow. So that's— Cliffhanger here. Yep, yes. that's part one. <laughs> that's only part one. Wait that's until awesome. we get to part two. You're going to be amazed. Yes, more to come, folks. So um, thank you for joining us again on Women Worth Knowing, and we look forward to hearing— more about what happened in China yes. with Amy yes, uh, yes, yes. Semple, Amy and Robert Semple at this point. She's not Amy Semple McPherson yet. So nope, she's just Amy Kennedy <laughs> just Semple. The Semples right now. Yes. So yes, with that, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to contact us, write in about a woman you think that we should know about, please feel free to do so. Um, you can write that to wwk at cccm.com. That's the email address, and you can send that info in. Tune in again next week to hear more. Part two. Yes, part two. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.